Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s? Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Golds. And we're the hosts of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field. And we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Scary Mysteries, brought to you by Nudon Films. Every Monday, we'll tell you about topics that range from serial killers and UFOs to unexplained mysteries, ghosts, and everything in between. If it's scary and it's mysterious, then we've got you covered. And check us out on YouTube as well if you want to watch each episode. Thanks for tuning in. Five Most Unbelievable Stories of Survival Survival is one of the most basic instincts found within every living organism. While many of us won't ever find ourselves face to face with the elements in a true life or death situation, the next five people did. These stories not only show extreme acts of courage and strength, but also just how far the sheer will to survive can push people to do amazing things. These are five of the most unbelievable stories of survival you'll ever find. Number 5. Harrison O'Keen It was 5 a.m. on May 26, 2013. As the cook of a small tugboat called the Jackson 4, Harrison O'Keen always woke up earlier than the rest. He was in the bathroom when he felt the boat lurching and beginning to keel. 
Before he knew it, he was tossed upside down. Scrambling out and trying to process what was happening, he saw three of his colleagues immediately swept away by a huge wave. The tugboat was sinking fast. The rushing waters pushed him into another toilet, trapping him in while the boat began to sink into the Atlantic. Stuck 300 feet below the water's surface, he plunged desperately into the dark icy waters looking for a way out. He found a vest and two flashlights, but was forced to remain in a cabin he found that had a small pocket of air. Cold, hungry, and tired, Harrison held on to two large mattresses to stay afloat. The only sound he could hear were from the fish and sharks fighting nearby, tearing at something big, which he imagined were the corpses of his shipmates. His only weapon was a wooden plank in case any animals swam close to him. On the surface, divers from DCN Diving, a Dutch company, were preparing to recover the bodies of the crew. It had been three days since the Jackson Force sank, and so far, they had retrieved four bodies. Nico, one of the divers, was swimming around while communicating to the surface when he felt something tapping him at the back of the head. Seeing a hand in the water, he radioed that there was a corpse. But when he went to reach out to the hand, it squeezed back. After his rescue, O'Keen promised he would never venture into the ocean again. He also admitted to feeling survivor's remorse, never understanding why he was the only person to remain alive. The fear of not knowing whether or not anyone would ever find him must have been overwhelming. But O'Keen said he kept his thoughts on his family, friends, and crewmates, and that that's what got him through the ordeal. Number 4. 1972 Rugby Team On October 13, 1972, a charter plane carrying 45 people, including members of the Uruguayan rugby team, their families and friends, crash-landed into the Andes Mountains. After the initial crash, search and rescue operations from three different countries were underway, but the downed aircraft, even though it was on the side of the mountain at 11,000 feet, was all white, making it difficult to spot from the air. The survivors of the crash had a small transistor radio which they listened to, huddled together in the broken fuselage. They could hear the news and knew there were efforts to find them, but after eight days they also found out that all search efforts had been cancelled. Their only option was to push through and get themselves off the mountain. Surviving on the meager supplies they could scrounge from the aircraft, the survivors rationed candy bars, assorted snacks, and several bottles of wine. They also figured out how to melt snow for water, but this wasn't enough. Deprived of proper food and nutrients, it was clear their bodies were starting to break down, and every day they grew weaker. On day 17, the remaining 27 survivors were hit with another tragedy when a sudden avalanche destroyed the fuselage they had been living in. For three days, they were completely buried inside with only a small hole for ventilation. An additional eight people died during this situation, and so now less than half the original passengers and crew remained. Completely desperate and out of options, they had to make the decision to eat their newly dead comrades for sustenance. It was made harder because everyone was a Christian, but yet they understood that in order to survive, this was their only option. They began by cutting strips of flesh and laid it down for each person who ate the meat in his or her own time. After two months, and with one more member succumbing to illness, three of the survivors, 
Canessa, Parado, and Byzantine started their trek up the mountain to find help. After three days, Byzantine went back to the crash site when he realized the trek was going to take much longer than anticipated and feared he would not survive. Canessa and Parado kept moving and after several days finally stumbled upon a Chilean herder who rode hours to tell authorities about the survivors. On December 22nd, after 72 days in the freezing Andes, all of the remaining survivors were rescued. The bodies of the deceased were also retrieved so they could receive proper burials. In the end, just 18 people made it off the mountain alive. Number 3. Ricky McGee The story of Ricky McGee still causes controversy, but there's one reality to it. Ricky was lost and survived in the unforgiving Australian outback for nearly 70 days. The origins of how and why he ended up in the outback is a bit muddled. Some reports say his car broke down on the highway and he started walking, at which point he ended up getting lost. Other reports say a hitchhiker he picked up drugged him, then dumped him on the side of the road, leaving him for dead. Whatever the real story, Ricky found himself stuck in a remote area for nearly two and a half months. He told the ranchers that found him that he walked for several days before realizing he better settle in in order to survive. When he came across a natural dam, he built himself a small shelter. For food, he would capture frogs, stick them on a wire, and then leave them to dry in the sun until they were crispy before eating them. Other times, he would capture and eat baby brown snakes, lizards, or leeches, and he stayed hydrated by drinking water from the dam. Mark Clifford, a cattle station manager in the region, said that the area McGee came from is one of the most isolated places in all of Australia. Luckily, it was the wet season, so wildlife was abundant. Still, when they found McGee, he was practically a skeleton. Before he disappeared, he weighed 220 pounds, but afterwards he was less than half that and weighed just 105. It's a miracle he managed to survive for so long in such a punishing environment. He was taken to the hospital where he stayed for six days while recovering, but to this day, he can't recall exactly how it is he ended up in the middle of nowhere fighting for his life. Number two, Stephen Callahan. For Stephen Callahan, boats in the ocean were his life. He enjoyed building boats and sailing them. The freedom of the open waters is what he enjoyed most. At 29, he took his homemade boat, the Napoleon Solo, and sailed from Newport, Rhode Island to Bermuda without any issues. The first week of his return journey was pleasant. Some minor gale winds, but nothing that concerned him. Laying in his bunker that night, he was startled by a deafening bang. Something had struck the boat and caused a huge hole in its hull. Water was rushing in, and the Napoleon Solo was sinking. Stephen prepared his life raft, but realized he would need to retrieve supplies, including an emergency bag he had prepared for such an occasion. The boat was already filled with water, but he dove in again and again, retrieving a sleeping bag, food, water, a spear gun, and essential supplies before clambering onto his circular raft. His raft was still tied to the boat, but by early morning the rope had come loose and he was set adrift, alone in the middle of the ocean. He kept a diary and used his spear gun to gather fish. He also had a solar still to help him gather water, but ultimately he was at the mercy of fate to be saved. 
Even though he crossed shipping lanes and even spotted a handful of ships and fired flares, he was never spotted. Before long, he drifted off the shipping lanes completely. With hunger, thirst, and saltwater sores physically beating him down, along with the emotional stress, he was ready to give up. On day 50, his raft was ripped and he was ready to succumb to the elements. But he found the courage to fix it after the reality that if he didn't, he would be dead within a few hours began to set in. On a 76-day adrift, a fisherman off the coast of Guadalupe finally picked him up. Although the fisherman didn't normally go to that part of the ocean, the birds surrounding Callahan's raft attracted them. By the time he was rescued, Callahan was on the verge of death. He was badly sunburned, had lost a third of his weight, and it took him months just to be able to walk properly again. Despite the ordeal, Stephen continues to build boats, has written a best-selling book about boat design, and even worked as a consultant for the movie Life of Pi. Number 1. Mauro Prosperi In 1994, Mauro Prosperi was one of 80 athletes who crossed the Sahara in a six-day endurance challenge called the Marathon de Sable. In the middle of the challenge, a violent eight-hour sandstorm happened, which he described by saying, The sand whipped my face. It was like a storm of needles. I had to keep moving to keep from getting buried. The sand constantly blinded him, and when it was finally over, all he had left was a half a bottle of water, some food, a sleeping bag, a compass, and a map. The landscape had changed dramatically due to the storm, and there were no reference points for him to accurately use his map. The first thing he did when he realized he was lost was to urinate in his water bottle. He said that when you're still well hydrated, your urine is the clearest and most drinkable. With this survival mindset, he kept walking. Day turned into night, and after several days, he stumbled upon a Muslim shrine. Nobody was there except for the remains of a holy man, but this was the only form of shelter he had come across. He camped out there for a few days because he found a few huddled bats within. He would take them, cut off their heads, and drank their blood to stay hydrated. He then mashed up their insides and ate about 20 of them raw for sustenance. While there, he saw an airplane pass overhead. He started a fire in hopes of being seen, but another sandstorm hit that lasted the entire day. Depressed and losing hope, he made a calculated decision to commit suicide rather than succumb to the elements in a slow and painful death. He slit his wrists, but was so dehydrated that the blood was too thick to even spill from his wounds. Taking this as a sign, he decided to continue on and recalled the advice a native gave them before the start of the race. He said, if you're lost, head for the clouds that you can see on the horizon at dawn. That's where you will find life. During the day, they will disappear, but set your compass and carry on in that direction. Morrow followed that advice, and while he walked, he paid attention to the landscape and was able to live off the land killing snakes and drinking juice from succulents that grew from dried riverbeds. By the eighth day, he stumbled on an oasis and stayed there for several hours. He saw a footprint in the sand and knew civilization had to be nearby. The next day, he saw a little girl who ran away from him and towards a Berber tent. There were only women there, but they took care of him, giving him food and goat's milk. The military came and took him to the camp, but blindfolded him because they had no clue who he was. When they found out he was a lost marathoner, 
They took the blindfold off and celebrated his return. Morrow had deviated 181 miles off course and had crossed the border into Algeria. He was rushed to the hospital where they told him his liver was badly damaged from the 10-day trek. It took him four years for his body to fully recover from what happened. Despite all he went through, Morrow went on to run eight more desert marathons after his recovery. So there are five of the most unbelievable stories of survival you'll ever find. Surviving in the harshest conditions is unthinkable for many people, but these men proved that if there's a will to survive, there's always hope, and so no matter what, you should never give up. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe and check out Scary Mysteries on YouTube as well for additional videos. I'll see you next week.